This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. <clears throat> good evening. It's good to be with you. My name is Will. I'm a deacon here and also the youth and college pastor. It's wonderful to be with you this evening on Ash Wednesday. Earlier this winter, I watched a documentary about a mountain climber. And in one of the scenes in this movie, he's ascending this nearly vertical peak in Patagonia, you know, the southern tip of South America. And so you can imagine him. He's got, you know, these ice axes in his hands. He's got these, you know, steel crampons on his feet, you know, these spikes. And he's making his way up this mountain that, that had never been climbed by somebody all by themselves. He's making his way up. And about two-thirds of the way up the mountain, it becomes dark, and he has to attach his tent and his sleeping bag to the side of this sheer face and just kind of tuck her down for the night. Well, the reason that this mountain was so difficult to climb is that weather patterns were constantly changing in this area. There was no way to predict what was going to happen. And so, sure enough, in the middle of the night... Sorry, <laughs> I, thought, I thought I heard you giggle. I thought I was missing something. I saw somebody <laughs> giggle over here. And... Terribly. Thank you. Okay. He loves my story. Okay. Well, in the middle of the night, he's got to come home, right? There's a blizzard. He comes down the mountain, and it's perilous. I mean, he's coming down in the dark through, you know, in the dark, right? And he gets down to the base of the mountain, and he's thankful to even be alive. And in the days and weeks after that, he's thinking, how in the world am I going to climb this mountain? I mean, he's totally dejected. How can I do this? What more do I need? And then this idea, idea dawns upon him. He doesn't actually need more. He needs less. He's carrying too much gear. He needs to climb more efficiently. He needs to climb it in one shot if he's going to do it. And so the next time he goes, he goes with fewer ropes and less gear, and he doesn't bring a sleeping bag, and he doesn't bring a tent. And it's terrifying to watch him do this. I mean, he's utterly vulnerable on the side of the mountain. But sure enough, he climbs it. And he does it because he packed light. He packed light. He embraced his vulnerability. And that's what enabled him to climb this mountain. And this image comes to my mind today on Ash Wednesday because you and I are also climbing a mountain. And it's not a mountain of performance or self-improvement or achievement, but it's the mountain of Calvary. We are journeying to meet Jesus in the place where he became vulnerable for us, place of his death and resurrection. And in order to get there, we too are going to need to pack light. We, too, are going to need to pack light. And for that, Jesus gives us three spiritual disciplines, three practices that will help us to pack light with less money, less distraction, less food even, through giving, prayer, and fasting. Each of these disciplines bring us into a place of vulnerability, but the irony is that just like the mountain climber, it's that vulnerability that allows us to climb the mountain and meet Jesus. And so what I want to do today is talk about three things. First, how do these three spiritual disciplines work, giving prayer and fasting? How do they work? Secondly, why do we need all three? 
And lastly, how does Jesus meet us? How does God meet us through these disciplines? Um, before I go any further, I just want to... <laughs> that was super awkward. <laughs> I'm so sorry I got distracted. <laughs> so I just I feel like I need to acknowledge that before I can... <laughs> and honestly, a little levity is nice because... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, levity is nice because, because this is what I wanted to say, is that I know that as I begin to talk about spiritual discipline, some people in this room are thinking, no. Like, my life is hard enough. Like, I, I'm not beginning Lent. I've been living Lent. The last two years have been one long Lent, and I'm still waiting for Easter. I imagine there are a lot of us in, the, in this room that feel that way. And I know there have been years that I have been excited to begin Lent, and I've been excited for purification in my life, and I've been excited for greater you know, spiritual discipline and more attention to the Lord. And this year, that has not been the case for me. I find myself weary and exhausted. And so if you find yourself thinking to yourself, you know, why would I make life, my life, any harder than it already is? Here's what I want to say to you right off the bat. That Lent and spiritual discipline is not about making your life hard. That's not the purpose of spiritual disciplines. It's not about making your life hard, which isn't to say that they're easy. They're not. But the point of spiritual disciplines is to help you see God in the hardships of your life. The point of spiritual disciplines is to help you see God in your vulnerability and in your emptiness and in your lack. And the good news is that you don't have to be heroic with whatever Lenten discipline you undertake in the next 40 days. It doesn't have to be huge, but the Lord will honor whatever small steps you take to return to Him. So my encouragement to you is that if you are exhausted, if you are grieving, don't check out. Don't say, I just can't do it this year. Because the Lord has something for you. The Lord has something for you. That's the invitation. A bruised reed he will not break. So let's begin. Spiritual disciplines, how do they work? They work by reminding us that we are vulnerable and dependent creatures. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those are the words that are going to be spoken over all of us at the, end of, at the end of my sermon. They're the words that come from Genesis 3 and the curse that God pronounces over humankind that because of our sin, someday we will die. But these are not just words about the curse. These are also words that echo creation. Remember that you are dust. Remember that once you were nothing at all, but God scooped up his own creation and breathed life into it. Remember that you exist because there is a God who is gracious and loving and willed that you would exist. Remember that you are dust. Remember that you are vulnerable and dependent upon him. And that's not a bad thing. 
That's not a consequence of the fall, but that's part of God's good creation. And this is precisely the thing that Adam and Eve forgot. Adam and Eve forgot that they were dependent, dependent upon the Word of God. And so Adam and Eve sought life apart from God, somewhere else, and all they found was death. If only they had recognized their dependence, their vulnerability. How do spiritual disciplines work? They remind us of our vulnerability and dependence. When we give, we are reminded that it is not our salary that will save us. When we give, we are reminded that it's not our 401k, it's not our portfolio that is going to preserve our life. You can try to hold on to your wealth and it will slip right through your fingers. When we give, especially to those in need, we are reminded that everything we have comes from a gracious God who has been generous with us. God is a giver. That is who he is, and we are dependent upon him. You think about prayer. The philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I'll say that again. All of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Prayer, prayer forces us to confront those awful and uncomfortable and vulnerable feelings, feelings of emptiness and boredom and restlessness and anxiety, feelings that we try to push away with distractions of work and entertainment. But prayer is where we wrestle with those feelings face to face. Prayer is where we learn to be open and honest with the Lord, the source of our being, about what is happening internally. You think about fasting. Is there any spiritual discipline that more people like less than fasting? <laughs> I don't think so. But is there any discipline that makes us more aware of our weakness and our frailty. Fasting is where we learn dependence. As we experience physical hunger, we are reminded that we also have spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by God. Fasting is where we learn, whether it's true, that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so as you consider your own Lenten disciplines, the ways that God is calling you to return to the Lord, I would encourage you to think about your disciplines in, in these three categories. Lord, how will I give? How are you asking me to give during this season? And maybe it's saving a chunk of your income or a chunk of your allowance every week to give to the Good Friday gift, a gift that will go outside of our church to a community in need. And you think, Lord, how are you asking me to pray? What do I need to, what social media do I need to turn off so that I can pray? You ask the Lord, Lord, what about 10 minutes? I mean, 10, 10 minutes in my day 
to just simply sit quietly in a room with you. I encourage you to ask, how will I fast? That doesn't have to be, you know, fasting for days on end or even a whole day. It could just be one meal on Fridays. Lord, how are you asking me to hunger for you? It could simply be eating less on Fridays. Let me say one more thing about how these three spiritual disciplines work. Notice in your bulletins, I've got, I've got this gospel passage printed there, and it's in three columns because what I wanted you to be able to see is that Jesus is intentionally paralleling these teachings. They follow a structure that's paralleled three times. And notice how each teaching begins with the word when. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Notice it doesn't say if you give if you decide to pray, if you decide to fast. It doesn't say, you know, take this personality test and figure out which spiritual discipline is perfect for you. But Jesus' assumption is that all three of these will be part of our lives in some way, that all three of these are are necessary for a healthy and balanced spiritual diet. And so we could ask, why is that? Why do we need all three of these? I mean, doesn't it make sense that some people would gravitate towards towards one or two of these, but not the others? And certainly there is is freedom. This is not me trying to say what you need to do for Lent. That's a conversation between you and the Lord. But I do think there's a strong case to be made for why we need all three of these in our lives. And Lent is a great opportunity to begin these practices. What happens when one is missing? So think about, think about prayer and fasting. Let's say you pray and you fast, but you don't give. Giving, for whatever reason, is absent from your spiritual life. What does that look like? And I think what it might look like is the kind of spirituality that the Lord actually condemns in Isaiah 58 when he says about Israel's prayer and fasting, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house. If we're to pray and fast but not give, our spirituality becomes internal, inert, stuck. It doesn't do anything for anyone. It doesn't call us outwards towards our neighbor. It's a a self-indulgent spirituality, we could say. What about, what about if we were to give and fast, but we don't pray? We give and we fast, but we don't pray. I think that's an activistic spirituality. It's busy, busy, busy. I mean, even to the point of suffering, working, working, working for the Lord, but it has no center. It has no grounding. What do you have to give someone if you have no connection to the Lord of the universe? You lack. It's an activistic spirituality lacks a center. You think of the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is busy, 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 but she misses the greater thing, to simply be with Jesus. What about when we give and we pray, but we don't fast? 
I'm trying, I've tried to think of a name for this. The first name that, that I thought of was maybe an American spirituality or prosperity spirituality. We give because we've got an abundance. We've got plenty of money. We can, we can be generous. We pray because we have plenty of time. We have recreation. We have time to do that, but we don't fast because we don't want to suffer. In fact, we're terrified of suffering. We have so much, and yet we're terrified that we still don't have enough. This was brought home to me a few years ago. I was in seminary, and I had, I had Nigerian classmates down the hall. And during the month of Ramadan, as their Muslim neighbors back home were, were fasting for the whole month, these Christian seminary students would also fast and pray for their Muslim neighbors. And I, I couldn't believe that they were doing this for a whole month, but I, I also couldn't believe this. Because they had, they had told me stories of the city where they'd come from, where they had incredible food insecurity. At any time, the power could go out, their fridge turns off, and they lose all of the meat that is in their fridge. And I'm thinking about my own life, where I have never known a day where I didn't have something to eat. And yet they were more ready than I was to fast. I had never known a day with lack, and yet fasting was tough for me, but they were ready. When one of these disciplines is missing from our spiritual diet, we don't always grow in the way that we're supposed to. You think of a, of a weightlifter who only works out one part of his body, right? Don't skip leg day. If you only work out one part of your body, your, your bones and your musculature, they get out of whack. We need these three working together in our lives. The only exception, of course, would be, you know, if there's, if there's a medical reason that you should not fast. Again, we don't have to be spiritual heroes. We can start small, and the Lord will meet us there. So let's turn to our last question. How does God meet us in these disciplines? Look in your bulletin again. See how each of these teachings concludes. Then your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Three times, your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's a twofold promise. First, it's a promise that you're seen. It's a promise that you're noticed. Your, discip your, your disciplines, your decision to pack light to go with, with less money, less distraction, less food. Your decision to embrace vulnerability is not for nothing, but you are seen by your heavenly Father. That is good news. But the second part of the promise is this, that your Father will reward you. And in this passage, that reward isn't specified. But we get our best kind of clue at what that is in verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's not worth it. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. What we understand about this reward is that it's heavenly. 
What we understand about this reward is that it's eternal. And the only things that are heavenly and eternal are those things that come from God's own life. So how does God meet us in these disciplines? With nothing less than his very self. That's the promise. That's the reward. And are these rewards only in the future once we die? I don't think so. Because a theme throughout Matthew's gospel is that through Jesus, heaven is coming to earth. We experience these rewards here and now, even if we do not experience them fully, as we will one day. And so what are some of these rewards? I mean, one is just intimacy with God, that you have the opportunity over the next 40 days through these disciplines to follow in the path of Jesus, who sought the Lord, who sought his heavenly Father for 40 days in the wilderness. You have the opportunity to walk more closely with the God who sustains your life. Secondly, we have assurance of forgiveness that as you pack lightly and become aware of these sins that are weighing you down, you have the opportunity to let go of those sins, to let go of the guilt that you're carrying, to let go of shame. You have the opportunity to experience forgiveness, forgiveness here and now and the promise of forgiveness and the judgment to come. Thirdly, you have the reward of true holiness. Not perfection, but true growth and transformation in your character through these disciplines, through the way that the Lord works in your heart through these. And lastly, you have fellowship with the saints. There is a bond that is created in our church when we choose to humble ourselves together. There is a bond that is created in our church when we choose to give together, when we choose to pray together, when we choose to fast together. And not only do we experience that fellowship, but there is also a fellowship with all of those saints who have gone before us. In our momentary hardships, we can join them in their victory, join them in their faith that God can be found even in vulnerability, especially in vulnerability and dependence. Intimacy with God, assurance of forgiveness, holiness, fellowship with the saints. We could go on. Love, joy, and peace. These are just a few of the rewards for those who turn to the Lord, for those who choose to pack light and embrace vulnerability, not as a curse, but as the very source of their life. And so, resurrection, I urge you in the name of Jesus Christ to offer this Lent as a holy offering to a holy God. Offer this Lent to the Lord. Believe in what He can do in your life when you choose to pack lightly, when you choose to embrace your vulnerability and return to Him. For He is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.